Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good singing and the good fellowship and the good spirit. What a joy it is to be in church this morning. I thank you, Lord, for those that have been faithful and been in church all of their lives. I thank you, Lord, for those that this is the very first time to be here with us in church and some in church at all. Thank you, Lord, that they're with us today. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives through your word this morning. Lord, each of us need to hear from you, and may your word be powerful in our lives. May the message be according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The word of God is filled with the most amazing and miraculous victories of any part of history. Many of the victories in the Bible are a result of a supernatural power that was displayed through God's people when they had faith and obedience in the Lord. I love the wonderful and amazing stories. In fact, I fell in love with the Bible even as a teenager. I mean, I was just amazed to read the stories. I, uh, they're they just miraculous stories in the Bible. How God uh, caused the sun to stand still. How he turned uh, the water and the ditches to blood. Uh, I, I, I love those stories, especially when uh, God took the love nuts off of the chariot wheels. <laughs> and the Bible said, and those chariots drave hard. It's pretty hard to uh, drive on four flats. And uh, I, I like it. I love the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And, and there, there, there's so many. I love the story of revival in the land of Nineveh. Nineveh. Uh, Nehemiah is my favorite Old Testament story. The rebuilding of the walls around the city. I like building and I like the life and all of that. I love the victories in the book of Joshua. They're national victories and the family victory of Joshua and his family. I love that statement as he concluded the book of Joshua in chapter 24 when he said, And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm thankful for the group and the national victories that were had in the Bible. It is, uh, it is a joy to be a part of a team effort to accomplish a goal, uh, to complete a task. I love the mountaintop victories of national revival of the land of Israel. I read at times they became so cold and indifferent toward God and some even involved in idolatry, but yet they would come a leader with faith in God and lead the people to have faith and obedience and there would be a national revival. It would bring great excitement uh, to the land. I love the work of Hezekiah and the wisdom that he had and how he led the people to love God. I like the story of Josiah, just a young little boy, and he inherited the throne. He didn't know what to do, and he said, well, I'll just do as my father did, and he spoke of his forefather, King David. He said, whatever he did, that's what we're going to do, and he got rid of all of the uh, heathen uh, uh, worship in the land and said, we're going to serve God, and I like what the Bible says about Josiah and that young king, not knowing what to do, just followed the success of uh, forefathers. It'd be a good thing for our nation to have a little civic lesson and go back to see uh, why America was and had become a great nation and return to that. However, as you read the Bible, there are times, in fact, there are many times that the Israel when Jeremiah preached, and he preached a message of hope, but the folks wouldn't listen. 
they hardened their hearts. They hired prophets to teach and preach what they wanted to hear, and they took Jeremiah, and they threw him in a prison. In fact, they threw him in a mud pit. The Bible said that his feet and legs, uh, they sunk into the miry mud. And, and I wouldn't want to be a part of a nation that rebelled against the preaching and the prophets and the work that they did. But there were times that that happened. There were times that the nation as a whole rejected the preaching. And the purpose of the message is this. There were if the nation's not going to have revival, I'm going to have a personal revival in the midst of their rebellion. And the truth is, sometimes in our lives, it's a whole lot easier when we can serve God as a family. It's a whole lot easier when you have a church like this that we can serve God in and be a part of a team. And we can do our part and everybody doing their part. We can do great things for God. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that we have a church like this. And I'm thankful for all of the servants and all of the, uh, and I sort of say young people, but folks of all ages faithfully serving God. But sometimes that's not available. And you don't have to wait on a nation to have revival. You don't have to wait on your family to have revival. You don't have to wait on anybody else. You can have a personal relationship with God that brings a joy and a gladness and a personal revival in your own life. Sometimes you have to climb your mountain alone. In fact, there are times in the Bible I find, for example, as Elijah. On Mount Carmel, he faced 450 prophets of Jezebel. Jezebel had hired 450 men to say what she told them to say. I'm ashamed of that crowd right there. I wouldn't want to have breakfast with that crowd that followed Jezebel. I'd rather have breakfast with Elijah. He just did what God said to do. I like Elijah. Elijah, he spoke to the people and he told them they need to turn to God. And the Bible says this, and they answered him not a word. They built an altar. And on that altar, they put the bullock on the altar. It was a time of famine. It was a time of drought. He said to them, he said, you call out to your God and I'll call out to the God of heaven. Whichever God answers by fire, we'll serve him. There was a quietness on that, on that mountain that day and Elijah stood alone. Everybody was against Elijah. And those false prophets, they began to pray and nothing happened. Nothing ever has happened or will happen praying to rocks and trees and imaginary gods. Nothing happens. Ah, but when Elijah began to pray that 63-word prayer, the Bible says the fire of water around the altar. And the Bible said all the people cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, Elijah did not follow those people. He had to have revival alone. He had to have a faith alone in his own heart. He had to have faith alone before the people would follow and experience that revival. Perhaps that's the case in your home. Perhaps that's the case in your life today. You hunger to see a national revival. You hunger to see others serve God. And it seems like there's a drought or a coldness of those that are around you. You ought to decide today if I have to climb that mountain alone, I'll climb it alone. And perhaps when you climb that mountain alone, others will follow your faith. I hunger to see national revival in our land. I do. I travel week after week and preach in churches across America. 
my heart's desire is to see revival. I've never asked, I've never asked a pastor or a church if I could preach in their church, not one time. But just by invitation of the pastors, I travel every week. In fact, this week I preached in Indiana, Illinois, and Texas. It was snowing in Illinois. It was 80 degrees and humid in Texas. I traveled 7,000 miles this week. I preached 12 sermons. I hunger to see national revival. I'd like to see our government turn its back on the promotion of sin. A little tired of the government peddling sin. I'm a little tired of the government peddling immorality and worse. And the wickedness, and I'd like to see them go back to promoting the word of God. Throwing out evolution and the theories, and let's get back to the truth of teaching creation and the word of God. I'm weary of politicians uh, campaigning as a conservative and then promoting alcohol and gambling and all that destroys the family. And somebody say amen right there. Alcohol is the number three killer in America, the number three uh, cause of death. And it is preventable and folks promote it like it's medicine and candy and good for you. It's rotten and wicked and out of the pits of hell. And that's not the sermon. I thought I'd just say that this morning. I get weary of churches turning their church into a worldly entertainment center with the music of the world. But I decided a long time ago, whether I see a national revival or not, that I would work to live in revival. In my own life and in my own heart. I want to stay close to the Savior. I want to stay close in my fellowship and and, and I want to stay hot in my desire to serve him. I never want to lose the joy. I never want to lose the fervor of preaching the word of God. I never want to lose the joy and the passion of taking the gospel and winning a lost person to faith in Christ and to see them trust him as Savior. I want to have, in fact, I plan to have personal revival in my life. As Queen Esther stood alone, sometimes you have to climb your mountain alone. As Gideon, the poorest of the poor, had to stand alone, sometimes we have to climb the mountain of victory alone. Sometimes you don't have family to go with you. You have to climb your mountain alone. Sometimes your friends think you're crazy wanting to know God in a more personal manner. Wanting to know his word in a more intimate way. And sometimes you have to climb your mountain alone. Sometimes you don't have friends or co-workers or even friends in church that want to get on fire for God or have spiritual victory. Sometimes you have to climb your mountain alone. That's what Psalm 119 is about. Open your Bibles again to Psalm 119. If you compared Psalm 119 to Psalm 80, you would find... In Psalm 80, a call and a desire for the nation of Israel to turn its back on sin and idolatry and come back to their faith and obedience to God. But Psalm 119 is not like Psalm 180. Psalm 119 is a man's personal relationship with God and specifically, and don't miss this statement, specifically with the Word of God. I don't believe in idolatry, even Baptist idolatry, where you imagine who God is I can know who God is through his word. And the psalmist is saying here, 
I'm not talking about Israel today. Though Israel needs to be on fire for God around me and its service for God, I'm not talking about that. While there may be a coldness around me, I want there to be a fire of revival in my own heart. And the psalmist is saying, as long as I have his word, I can have a personal revival with God. It is a psalm of a man and his relationship with the Bible. The word of God, a light that reveals to man who he really is and who God really is. You know, the word of God tells me who I am. And I'm not very much. In fact, I'm a, I'm a zero. But when I get behind the one, it adds value. The word of God is a light. It shows me who I really am as someone who would go to a doctor. They may know they have pain or they may have a discomfort in a part of their body. Maybe they even have an idea which vital organ there may be a problem with. You go to that x-ray or the MRI or whatever the machine is and it can look deep into the body and look into the heart and the lungs and liver and kidneys or whatever the case may be and the doctor says this is what the x-ray show and this is the condition and this is what needs to be done. The psalmist takes the word of God as a light not by his emotion, not by comparison to another Christian, not by comparison to the world. Ah, dear friend, you can find folks in the world that you can compare yourself to and you'll be lifted up in pride and think, I'm better than they are. I'm better than that crowd. Ah, but the psalmist wasn't uh, comparing himself to others. He was under the x-ray machine of the word of God. He was seeing himself for who he really was. In fact, uh, he describes that if you look with me in verse number 9 of Psalm 119. Here's what he says. Uh, he is according to the word of God. He says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed uh, thereto according to thy word. Look at verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. He's not talking about, he's saying it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. By the way, this psalm gives me an encouragement to know I don't have to wait for everybody else to have revival. I can have revival in my heart. I can climb this mountain alone. I want others to have a revival. I want others to know the joy of being in the center of God's will. But I don't have to wait for others to do so. In fact, my obedience to him may be what it needs to cause others to have a desire to be close to him. The two parts of my outline of these verses that we read, uh, 25 through 32, and uh, the two parts are these. From the word of God, what the psalmist realized, and then what the psalmist resolved. What the psalmist realized from the word of God. Hey folks, listen, you need more than a sermon to examine your life. You need the scripture to examine your life. We need more than feelings and emotion. We need the light of the word of God. I'll give you several individual words. If you want to write them down beside that verse, you can do so as he looked at the Bible and what he realized. First of all, he was convicted by the word. He was convicted by the word. 
You ever go to a doctor and you feel great, but you just go for a checkup and you find out after having blood work or having tests to find out there is an issue that needs to be dealt with before it becomes. I, I, that, that really helped me right there. Boy, if that preacher preached like that every Sunday, I, we'd be a happy church. That's not what he's saying. He said, open the word of God. And here's what he said, verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. What he's saying here, in me is no life at all. I have no is my life. So he was convicted by the word of God. May I say this morning, you and I need to read the scripture. The scripture is our guide. The scripture is our guard. The scripture is what reveals what is righteous, what reveals uh, that which is holy. We need not live a relevant Christian life. Uh, we need to live a Christian life in light of the word of God. And if you're a Bible reader, you're going to find yourself coming under conviction when compared to the truth. You ever dusted your house real well? Everything looks just clean as can be. And then that evening sun begins to set and that bright beam comes through the living room. And your husband walks in about that time and says, when are you going to dust this place? Huh? Oh, you men wouldn't say that, would you? You're smarter than that, aren't you? I noticed there were no amens from up here on the platform at all. I mean, you see the dust in the air, you see dust, in, and that bright light reveals it. Or maybe it shows how dirty your fellow's car is when the light shines in there. Hey, can I tell you something? The light reveals reality. And here the psalmist said, I'm convicted because of thy word. So that, that the next thing he did, he confessed his sin. And that's what we ought to do. When we're convicted, we ought to confess. There's no need to carry a sin. Sin is an added weight that's not necessary. Sin holds you back. Sin hurts the joy of your life. And so the psalmist, when the word of God revealed sin, he went from conviction to confession. Look at verse number 26. He says in 119, 26, I have declared my ways and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. He said, I declared my ways. I just said, Lord, yes, I, I'm guilty of that. Yes, I'm wrong. I don't want to do wrong. Would you forgive me? Hey, this country needs a revival of forgiveness before God. All this crowd and reparations, all the foolishness that's going on in our country today, what we need to do is get back to the examination of the light of the Scripture and stand before God and say, It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not only do I recognize my sin, I confess my sin. Let me give you the third word. He consecrated himself to the word. Look at verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. He consecrated himself to the word of God. Consecrate means to dedicate yourself to something. He said the word of God has revealed where I'm wrong. I've confessed my wrong. The word is right and so I have committed or I have consecrated. He said make me to understand the way of thy precepts. Teach me how to do this. Show me how to do this. I, I remember when I first moved to Lexington, a fella asked me if I would go golfing. I'd never been golfing. It was sort of funny to me come from the mountains and go golfing. 
I mean, if you'd have hit a golf ball in the mountains, you couldn't find it. I mean, you just never would. There's too many mountains and valleys. In fact, first golf ball I hit here, they still haven't found it. And, uh, and, and I, I remember, and after that day, and I, I was so bad. I mean, I, I'd, never, I'd never played before. He said, you need to take lessons. And so I said, okay. I'll, and, and I remember taking a lesson and a fellow, I'll never forget what he said. He said, now, show me how you stand. I just stand on my feet. How do you stand? He said, no, no, no. Show me your stance. I said, there it is. <laughs> he said, you're standing wrong. That's where I've been standing my whole life. That's where I've been standing. He maybe put, put the ball down there. It was the funniest thing. I felt like he had me in chains. I felt like I was crippled. And I was supposed to swing that way. I didn't know how to play golf and still don't. I didn't quit taking lessons. He quit giving them to me. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know what's right, don't we? You know, a funny thing is to see a fella that can hit a baseball three, 400 feet and give him a golf club. And he thinks he's going to knock it out of sight. And he swings for everything. I, I remember uh, several times I swung and I was looking, hey, preacher. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know what to do. We think we're doing right. You know what the psalmist said? Give me lessons, Lord. Teach me thy precepts. I want to I consecrate myself to living the Christian life while others around me, whether they want revival or not, I want to be close to you. I'm going to climb. I like this. He came to a place of contrition. Verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. He was serious. Have you ever been serious about being in the will of God. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. And he says that again and again. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word, your word is all that I need. He came to a place of, of contrition in his life because of the word of God. He had a heaviness. He had a seriousness. Too often in our world today, folks get up at Sunday morning time to go to church, one hour of church, and then never think about God again. There ought to be some contrition in our life to realize how much I need God, how much I need to spend time with God, how my relationship ought to be close to Him, how I ought to pray about everything, how, to, how I ought to desire God's will in my life about everything. And so then what did the psalmist resolve? After he saw these things in his life and he, he was convicted and he confessed and he consecrated. He said, teach me how to do this. I want to do right. And then contrition, he was serious about his desire to please God. Serious about his desire to serve God. Serious about his desire to rear his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Serious about living a committed Christian life. Not just in church, but at work and in public and every place I go. He came to the place that he made a resolve uh, in these things. These are decisions that resulted from his findings in the word of God. This is what happened after he made a visit to the doctor and he saw the x-ray, he saw the MRI. He decided, I'm going to climb this mountain alone. And so here's what he did. Number one, he decided, or I'm sorry, he made a decision to live for God. Look at verse number 30. I have chosen, I laid, before me. 
He said, after I saw the word of God and I saw what was right, I saw my life, I had come short of what's right. I was not doing what's right. And Lord, I want you to teach me what's right. I have a hunger. I have a heaviness in my heart to do what's right. He then says, I've decided to do right. Folks, look at me. The only way you'll ever do right is decide to do right. You, you don't wait for an overwhelming emotion to come over you and push you to do right. You make a decision to do right. You read the Bible faithfully because you decide to read the Bible. You have the right friends because you decide to have the right friends. You worship God. You obey God. So much is done out of emotion. Now, I like emotion, but I've always learned that emotion is the caboose of the train, not the engine. The engine is the obedience. The caboose is the emotion. A train can go with or without emotion. But it has to have the engine of obedience. The psalmist said I made a decision. Some of you here today, you ought to decide, I'm going to put, this, I'm going to put church on my schedule every Sunday. I, I'm going to commit my, I'm going to make a decision to serve God. I'm going to make a decision to tithe. I'm going to make a decision to tell others about Christ or at least to give a gospel tracts. I've made a decision to read the Bible. Whether I understand everything I read in the Bible. Somebody told me this morning, they watched the television program last night, and they said, you announced your text, John 3, 16, and you preached 20 minutes on one verse. He said, I didn't know there was that much in John 3, 16. He was glad I didn't preach the whole chapter in just one verse. What the psalmist resolved, he made a decision to live for God. But not only did he make a decision, he made a determination. Verse 31, I have stuck. <laughs> I like that word. I've stuck into thy testimonies. I don't need a revision of that verse. I understand what that means. You don't need to re, re, rewrite it. You just need to obey. I've stuck to thy testimonies. You know when you make a decision to do something, you have to make what you decided to do. I know I'm going to face days that folks are going to oppose what I've decided to do. I'm going to face days that everything's going to be against me, but not only have I decided, I have determined to live for Christ. Then last of all, he hungered for a desire he hungered for a desire to serve God all his days. Look at verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. You know what he's saying? He said, I'm going to do it because it's right to do. I've decided to. I've determined to. But Lord, my desire is that you would enlarge my heart. And I wouldn't just do it because I decided to but I would serve you because I love you with a heart that's been enlarged. Let me have your attention just again as I close. Obedience begins with a decision. Passion comes when you faithfully do what's right again and again. God does enlarge your heart. How many times has somebody asked if you like something that was maybe an odd kind of a food or something. And you say, you know, I really do. I didn't when I first ate it. Or you ask somebody, do you drink coffee? And someone, and, and they might say, you know, I hated that stuff. I just like to smell it. I'd make a pot just to smell it. 
Then I started drinking it. Now I love it. How many of you have that testimony, huh? You know what the psalmist is saying? He's my creator. He's a giver of life. His word is right. I've decided that I'm going to follow him. Not only have I decided, I'm determined to do this. I'm going to climb my mountain. If I have to climb it alone, I'm determined to do this. Though opposition comes, though sometimes I won't feel like doing what I know is right to do, I'm determined to do this. And Lord, my desire is that you would enlarge my heart. Can I tell you something? As a boy, I came to church because I never said to mom, are we going back to church tonight? Never did. I knew we were. And there were times I've sat through church. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. I've been in church most every day this week. I preached 12 times this week. I absolutely love serving God, preaching his word, and knowing that old book. Stand with me if you will. I want to keep going this morning, but I'll do that tonight. I'll continue tonight. The psalmist said in Psalm 80, we need national revival. Psalm 119 said, whether the nation has revival or not, I'll climb my mountain alone if I have to, but I'm going to serve the Lord. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Perhaps you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you to trust Him as your Savior today. If you've never received Christ, if you've never received Christ, you ought to trust Him as Savior today. You've been saved and never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. That is a public profession of your faith in Christ. You ought to be baptized today. Let folks know of your faith in Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, I wish my family, I wish my friends, I wish others would climb this mountain with me, but I've decided if I have to, I'll climb this mountain alone. I want to serve God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us in our individual hearts and minds to determine your word is right. Your blessings are real. Lord, help us, I pray, to be determined to serve you. Bless our invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.